Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Bible reading today is from John 16 and we're reading verses 16 to 24. It will be on the screen behind me, um, so please follow along. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me. At this some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while you will see me no more And then after a while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what it meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a while you will see me? Very truly I tell you. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But um, I will see you again and you will rejoice. No one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Thanks, Elizabeth. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll hook into this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy that we have to be here right now. We pray, God, that you would speak to us. We pray that whatever is going on in our weeks, whatever's going on in our lives, that right now in this moment, that we would be present and that you would be transforming us and changing us. We pray for this help in Jesus' name. Amen. So where do we go to find joy in a world like ours? Where do we turn to? Well, the World Happiness Report has been out now for six months. You've had plenty of time to have a look at this. It's been out for the last 10 years, every year. And basically what the World Happiness Report does is that it looks at where in the world will you be the happiest? What it does is it ranks the countries. And uh, you get a bunch of the different ranks there. They base it on environmental factors. So things like social support, things like views of corruption, Things like freedom in life to choose what you're going to do. All of that kind of stuff, they add it all together, divide it by a magic number, and then they tell you where you can be the happiest where you'll live. So where do we go to find joy in a world like ours? Well, the answer is here. It's in Finland. That's where you go if you want to be the happiest. Now, to round off the top three, you've got Denmark and Iceland. If you can't make it into uh, Finland, there's the top three. Now, Australia's not that far down the list. We are coming in at number 12th, which isn't too bad. Uh, A little bit of a stitch up, I think, that New Zealand is number 10. Um, But if you know Queenstown and the ski slopes there, I guess it makes sense that they're a little bit higher than us. But there we are at number 12. Now, that's that's not bad, right? 
that's pretty good. In fact, let's be real, it's very good, and we know we've got a lot of things to be happy for in a country like ours. And, and a lot of things that countries below us would, of course, dream of having. But the reality with a report like this is, we know there's a truth that underlines this. And the truth is that there isn't a direct line between where you are born and your joy. We know that, right? We know that to be true. You just think of your life or the people around you and their life. You think of the challenges that we face day in, day out, the struggles, the difficulties of our life. We know that where you live doesn't automatically result in joy. And so what we want to do is just think about this for a moment. We want to ask a question of God's Word. Where do we find joy? Where do we find a true joy, regardless of where we live or what's going on in our life? What does joy look like? And in a series called Pursuing Greatness, what does it look like for us to go after this and pursue joy? Well, this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to go after this, and we're going to uh, do this. We looked at this last week as we began this series, that our pattern in this series is we're going to see it first in Jesus and then be invited to experience it and then think about pursuing it. Okay, so that's, that's where we're going. So if you've got your Bibles there this morning, we're going to have a look at this, but we're going to start in a passage that we didn't have read out for us before in John chapter 2, a little bit earlier, because here is a passage where we see Jesus showing some joy, and it's a famous passage. It's where Jesus turns water into wine. So Let's begin there, a story full of joy. In chapter 2, verse 1, this is what it says. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you save the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So, where do we find joy? Where do we see joy as we think about pursuing greatness? Well, it begins here in Jesus, and it's very clear in this passage that Jesus is someone who has come to bring joy. That is clear, isn't it? I mean, this is a passage all about joy. You've got a wedding that Jesus, his disciples, and his family are all invited to. And weddings are celebrations. We even know that today. But in the ancient world, the Jews had celebrations down pat. This was a seven-day party for them back in the day. It, it was a, a joyful occasion to celebrate marriage. But the problem at this wedding that was meant to be full of joy is we get to day three of a seven-day wedding and there's a problem. They've run out of wine. Now, that is a problem for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because in the ancient world, this would bring shame on the person putting on the wedding. And in the ancient world, you avoid shame at all costs. But also because weddings were supposed to be joyful occasions. You can't run out of wine at this particular wedding. This is not what's meant to happen. So there's a problem at this joyful moment. But thank God, Mary knows a guy. And Mary's guy that she knows is Jesus. And so she says to Jesus, hey, bro, can you do something about this? And Jesus says, woman, my hour has not yet come. Now, now that's brutal. 
We know that. Uh, in, in our world, we know that. And if you live with your mum and she asks you to do something around the house, don't try this at home. <laughs> right? If she says, do the dish, and you says, woman, my hour, it's not going to go well for you. But, but this isn't a bad thing for Jesus. In fact, if anything, this is an endearing, an endearing moment from Jesus with what he's saying. And we, we get that from the context because Mary just goes, okay, do whatever they tell you. She goes on with it. She doesn't fight up against it. She goes, do whatever they tell you. And then Jesus does. And he says to the waiters, hey, can you get, uh, can you get six ceremonial jars and, and, and fill them with water? They're, they're 20 to 30 gallons. And they do this. They fill it to the brim. Right? So there's a, there's a lot of water that they're getting. And what does Jesus do with the water? Well, he does something no one else can do. He turns it into wine. Instantly. He turns all of that water into wine. Now, it's clear Jesus is doing something no one else can do, right? That is clear in this passage. But what's also clear is that this is an abundance of wine. Okay? In fact, today's version of this Jesus has just made 760 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine, right? That's not like someone, hey, can you go to the bottle-o and get a bottle of wine? We're, we're a bit short for dinner. That's like, hey, can you get the bottle-o and bring it here? That's what Jesus does. It's an abundance of wine, and he saves the day. And it's not just any wine, it's the good stuff, right? We read that. The master of the banquet in verse 9 tastes it. He says to the bridegroom, hey, this is the good stuff. This isn't your cheap goon sack or whatever it is. This is the good stuff. You've saved the best to last. And then in verse 11, we read what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first sign through which revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. This is an amazing moment of Jesus' life. And it's the very first miracle that he does. Now, of course, there's a question here. Why is this the first miracle that Jesus does to reveal his glory? Why is this it? I mean, he could have done anything for the first sign. Why this? Well, I think one of the key reasons of this is that Jesus is showing the type of God that he is and the type of heart and life that he's come to bring. You know, it's in John where we get that line, I've come to bring life to the full. Jesus hasn't come to rob peoples of joy of, of, or take their joy or make their life terrible. No, Jesus has come to bring joy. And here in this passage, it's an abundance of joy. This is a, a foretaste of what Jesus will bring. He has come to bring joy. That's at the heart of this passage. And, and you can see that. Right, you read this, it's, a, it's an amazing story that we, you read and you see that Jesus has come to bring joy. So then we want to ask the question, okay, so how do we experience that joy? Because we don't get to be at that wedding. So how do we, here today, get to experience the joy that Jesus has to offer? Well, this is where we turn to where we had the Bible reading before in John 16. So if you've got your Bibles there, flick it over, or it'll be on the screen behind me. But from this point in Cana, where he does his first sign, through to John 16, Jesus does lots more signs to prove who he is. And lots more things where he brings joy. You know, he feeds 5,000 people on a mountain. That's a joyful meal. He raises Lazarus back to life. That's a joyful occasion. But we get to John 16. Now, this is a moment in Jesus' life where he's heading towards the cross. So he knows what's going to happen. And in John 15, we saw this last week. If you, you notice this last week in our passage, it, Jesus said, I've come to bring joy. Then in John 17, Jesus prays for joy. But here we find ourselves in John 16, where he really invites his disciples to experience this joy. And it's, 
It's awesome. This is a, a, an amazing passage where Jesus speaks of how we will experience joy. So let's have a look at this passage together. In, in verse 16, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Now it's clear to us what he's speaking about. His death and resurrection. But let's remember the disciples don't know that that's coming yet. And so they're a bit confused in verse 17 and 18. They go back and forth. What does he mean? And then Jesus speaks into that. In verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So how do we experience joy? That's that question. How do we experience joy? Well, here Jesus speaks to the disciples and tells them how they will experience joy. And, and how do they experience joy? Well, it's pretty simple here in this passage. Okay, Jesus says, firstly, you will grieve while the world rejoices. Speaking about that moment at the cross, we remember the crowds were yelling, crucify Jesus. The enemies of Jesus were mocking him and shaming him. They were rejoicing, but the disciples were grieving. But Jesus says, but that's going to be turned around. In a moment, your grief will be turned to joy. Now, why will their grief be turned to joy? Why will their grief be turned to joy? Well, it's simple. It's two things. Number one is what Jesus has accomplished. In his death and resurrection, it's hugely significant in the story of the Bible. This is a key moment where God brings victory over sin and death. It's the good news of the Bible. That, that sin and death and Satan are defeated. The, the death and resurrection speaks to that. So part of their joy is in what Jesus has accomplished. But particularly here in this passage, what's the second reason they have joy? Let's have a look again. He, he says these words. What is it? In verse 22, he says, I will see you again and you will rejoice. So it's not just what Jesus has accomplished. It's his presence. Where Jesus is, and when he's with the disciples, that is what will bring them joy. Their friend, their savior, their king, he died, but now he's alive. And when he's with them, they will have joy and no one will take away their joy. Now, if we think about this idea, we know this to be true relationally. Right? Any relationship that you have, you understand this fact. So uh, Elizabeth and I have been together yesterday 10 years. That's, that's good for us. Um, haters said we wouldn't make it, but here we are. Uh, and we've been married nearly eight years in a couple of weeks. And when I think about our relationship, when I think about that, what we've got, uh, you know what's brought me joy over the years? It's not simply the fact that we're married. You know, that, that does bring me joy. I love to know that we are married. That's, that's true. But when I think about over the years where my joy has been found is when I'm in the same room with her. You know that's true. In any relationship that you have, it's not just the fact you've got the relationship, it's when you're with them. Now, our God is a relational God. We saw this last week. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said in John 15, so have I loved you. Our God extends his love to people. He's a relational God, and he invites us into this relationship, which means that our joy is not just in what Jesus has accomplished. It's in the presence of Jesus. 
You know, this week in our growth group books, the definition of joy is this. It's the delight in the beauty and awe of who God is. That's what joy is. And we find joy, or the disciples here particularly, first and foremost, they find joy when they're with Jesus. Now, the question is then, okay, so what about us, right? Still that question remains because we didn't get to see Jesus three days after he was dead. We didn't get to do that. So, so where do we experience this joy? Well, here is where Jesus goes, and it's quite profound because it feels like in these next verses, he changes subject. But what he's going to do is he's going to help us see how we can experience joy. So let's, let's have a look at this. It's in verse 23. So verse 22, he's just said, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Then verse 23, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Jesus is speaking about prayer. It's clear there. He's speaking about prayer. And he's saying, in that day, you're not, you're not just going to speak to me. You're now going to pray to the Father. Now, we know this to be true. This is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray after he was gone to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son. And, and Jesus is speaking about prayer here. Now, let's just make sure we talk about this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, you'll be given it. We, people have tried to take this passage to say that you can just pray and get whatever you want. You know, like if you believe, you'll receive. The problem with that is prayer in itself is, is submission to God. So a good prayer is a bold prayer where we're asking big things of God, but it's also a bold prayer that knows at the end of the day, it's God who decides. So he, he's speaking about prayer here. Now, what's this got to do with joy? Well, the key is the next sentence. He says this to finish off this, until now you have not asked anything in my name, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. When we pray, Jesus says, your joy will be complete. Now, how is that true? Why is that true that prayer brings joy? Well, it's because of what prayer is and what happens when we pray. You see, sometimes we can think of prayer like God being the vending machine. You know, you might not actively do this subconsciously. I think sometimes we do this, where if I just type in the right code or do the right thing, then out will come what I'm asking for. You know, sometimes we can think about that. Or, you know, a genie in the bottle. That God is this genie in the bottle that we get three wishes and he'll give us what we want. Now, sometimes I think that comes about because that's what our prayer life reflects. You know, sometimes we only pray when we want something, so of course that's how we're going to think about God. Or it might be because we live in a consumer society where, you know, we just, we just want to get more stuff. But regardless of how we got there, sometimes we think about God like that, a vending machine or a genie in a bottle. The, the problem with that is, if prayer is like that, it becomes transactional. It's almost like a bank account, right? Or a bank teller. I go get my thing and then I go on with my day. But, but again, the problem with that is that God is not a vending machine. He's a relational God. And prayer is not just when, what we get, when we get what we ask for, no, in the moment when we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, what happens is we are actually invited into experiencing the presence of God. That's what happens when we pray. Now, we know that God is always present with us. He said that at the end of Matthew, go and make disciples, I'll always be with you. That is true that God is always with us. But prayer is the gift that God has given us to, in a very real sense, spiritually experience the presence of Jesus. When we pray, he is in the room with us. 
and we experience his presence. And when we experience the presence of Jesus, our joy is made complete. You see, when we pray, we're not just saying words, right? It's not just, it's not just words to get what I want. We are invited into the eternal, beautiful God, where we pray to the Father, a relational being, in the name of the Son, by the power of the Spirit. It's not just words. We're invited to experience God. Now, let's tie this together. Why does this bring us joy? Well, let's think about verse 22. What brought the disciples joy? It's not just what Jesus accomplished. That's true. But Jesus said, I will see you again. So the reason then our joy comes through prayer is because in prayer we experience the presence of Jesus. We're with him in prayer. And there, in prayer, our joy is made complete. Now this is profound. Because what this means in prayer is we can delight in God for who he is and what he's done, the beauty and the awe of who he is. What happens is, Whatever season we're in, this brings us joy. So it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter where we live. We can have a joy that's grounded in God. And I love the truth of this passage played out in people's lives. And, and you might know someone or people that you've seen this through, but I'd love to tell you a story about some people who did this. So a few years ago, we had a couple come to our church called Barry and Rosfield. If you, if you know them, you know who I'm talking about. If you don't, just picture an older couple. And Barry and Roz were a couple filled with joy. I can see Barry's face when I think of him and his smile and his laugh, and you knew that it was coming from a deep place. But despite living in Australia, Barry and Roz didn't have an easy life. Far from it. In fact, in 1980, they had three children. In 1980, their eldest son, at the age of 14, died from cancer. He left behind a younger brother and a younger sister, Lizzie, who we knew, who had Down syndrome and needed full-time care her whole life. Two years later, Barry got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that Roz said was so rare, only 10 people in Australia had that disease. And, and the disease was so harsh that uh, it produced too many white blood cells and it ended up attacking his body and he lost an eye. The treatment on that disease was a treatment that Roz said they wouldn't use today, partly because it had the potential to cause cancer, which 10 years later, it did. Barry got cancer in 1992, and he had surgery, and by God's grace, the surgery was successful, but afterwards there was complications with a hernia, and that surgery stuffed up the earlier surgery, and there was all sorts of complications out of that. 11 years later, Barry's kidney stopped working. So for the next 15 years of his life, he would need dialysis for the rest of his life. Roz said she got really good at finding veins and putting the needle into veins. She was very proud of that fact when I was talking to her this week about it. But she said what would happen with dialysis, so basically machines operate as your kidney, um, what happened was in the middle of the night, she'd hear bells and alarms going off and she'd be freaking out and she'd look to Barry and he'd be calmly sitting there telling her what to do. That went on for 15 years. So that was 2003. In 2016, Barry got diagnosed with his second round of cancer. Roz said it was so typical of Barry because it was one of the rarest cancers that you could find. He got diagnosed with cancer in 2016. Two years later, that cancer would, would be the end of him. He would die from the cancer that he had in 2018 and leave behind Lizzie, who then Roz would go on to care for and then continue to serve at her local church and continue to serve at our church on a Wednesday morning at English for Life. 
This week, it was a year ago where Lizzie passed away. Now, if you knew Barry and Roz, there's no way that you could tell this was the life that they lived. Such was their joy that they had. You would think that they had a great life because of how they lived their life. And so I, I wanted to ask Roz about this. This week I was talking to her and I asked her about this. I said, where did, like, how did you do this? How did you have joy in this? And Roz had this great line where she said, we just lived the usual Christian life. Now, if you know them, there's nothing usual about the Christian life that they lived. And I said to Roz, where's your joy? And if you can picture, if you can't picture an older lady like this, she said, I said, where's your joy now? And she goes, with a smile on her face, I know where I'm going. <laughs> it's so good. And she knows what Jesus has accomplished at the cross. She, she gets that. But it's very clear from Roz that she doesn't just get what the accomplishment is. She knows Jesus. And I asked her about Roz's, uh, I asked her about Barry's prayer life. And again, this description's so good. She said, well, Barry would pray in the morning and then he'd pray in the evening. I guess he'd pray with me. And then when Barry died, she found a little red book with all the names of people that Barry had been praying for. She didn't even know he had that. So at some point, he was praying for them as well. This to them was the usual Christian life. And, and, and so you see then, in the middle of a life of suffering and sickness and death and tragedy, they had this deep joy. Now, why is it that they had joy? It's because of what Jesus says here. I will see you again. And then he calls his disciples to pray. And when you pray, your joy will be complete. You see, the way that we experience the joy of the living God is, yes, by believing in him and trusting in him for the forgiveness of our sins at the cross and his death and resurrection. Of course it's that, but in an ongoing sense, it's when we experience the presence of God through prayer. That's how we experience joy. And, and so we think about this. Jesus doesn't invite us just to see joy. He invites us to experience joy. And prayer is not just words, it's not just a duty, it's not an obligation, it's not just something you do when you want something. If you want to experience the presence of Jesus, it's through the gift he's given us of prayer. So we see joy. Our God has come to bring abundant joy. We experience joy. But let's then think about this. We gave some of our neighbors just some coffee buns, it's like a pastry, and the impact of that, we, we, we dropped them at their door and we said, we hope you have, or we said, parenting's hard. If this is one of those days, we hope this helps. And the impact of that was quite profound. In the afternoon, they all came over, unannounced, came over, started chatting in our, uh, in our driveway for about half an hour. Another couple walked by. They joined the conversation as well. It was amazing. So if you missed last week's weekly exercise, it's not too late. Have a crack at that. It's, uh, it's pretty simple and straightforward to do that. But this week's one, I want to point this out. This week's weekly exercise is to come up with a list of 40 things that you're thankful for. Now, I know 40 sounds like a lot, but it's not. Once you get started, it's not. You know, you could think of five things this morning, right? Like a, a comfy seat to sit in, songs that we can sing, a, a community that is interested in me, coffee, morning tea, there's five and I'm not, I'm not even trying. So, 40 things to do that. Now, the reason we do this is, again, I think it's quite profound. Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. So what thanksgiving does, here's the kind of the mechanics behind thankfulness, is it lifts our eyes from the gift to the giver. So uh, again, this week in our growth group books, the counterfeit of joy is an, a, an emotion attached to an experience. 
So think about happiness when you've got a good meal. That's not a bad thing, but it's gone when the meal's over. Or like excitement when you've got holidays coming up. That's not a bad thing, it's just not joy because it disappears when your holiday's over. But what thankfulness does is it lifts our eyes from the gift to the giver, right? So say for a meal, if we're thankful to God for the meal that he's given, we can be happy over a good meal, but when that meal's over, what thankfulness does is it helps us see the giver who's given us good things. And then our joy is attached to him and not the experience that we've just had. Thankfulness is so important for joy. And, and so there's the, the weekly exercise, just a way to help you actually practice that and put that, I think, five to ten minutes you'll be able to do that. And if we can pray then as well, as we're giving thanks, what happens? We're in the presence of Jesus thanking God for all that he's given us. So there it is, prayer and thanksgiving. Those are the two ways that we can pursue this. Now, if we can go after this as a church, if we can pursue joy in this way, the beauty that we have, the hope that we have is that we've got a God who works in us and through us and a God who will produce this, this joy in us, whatever season we're in, whatever country we're in, wherever we're from, whatever's going on in our lives, we can have a deep joy because that joy will be grounded not in our experiences, but in the God we delight in for his beauty and his worth. Prayer is our experience of this. Giving thanks helps us do this. And then our joy is attached to God. And then we will have a great joy. So it seems like we probably should spend some time praying and do this right now. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you in prayer right now, these are not just empty words. God, you are a God who has promised to be with us present with us. Father, we pray as we come before you that you would give us a great joy, a great joy that's found in your beauty and your wonder and who you are. We ask, Father, that you would help us to see that this is how you've invited us to experience joy. And God, that this would be something that that we do not just because of an obligation or a duty or because we want stuff, but because we want to experience the living God who has done such great things for us, of course, but just in and of yourself, Lord, you're beautiful and you're wonderful. Help us find our deepest joy in you. Draw us into this this week, we pray. And we pray, Lord, as a church, that we would be a church of deep joy whatever circumstances we go through, whatever day comes for us, whatever we're going through, we may have a deep joy because it's found in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.